My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the uh, Tamil Creator. I'm your host, Era, and today I have a very special guest jumping on the podcast. I have Police Chief Nishan Duryapa. And I'm going to call him Chief Nish, as he gave me permission before the podcast to do so. So if you don't know who he is, um, you know, he made big news years ago. He uh, He's Peel Region's police chief and the first police chief of South Asian descent in Ontario's history. And um, also the first uh, police chief of Tamil descent in all of, like, I think, North America. And he currently leads a force in one of Canada's most multicultural cities where more than 60% of residents identify as visible minorities. So... Uh, Chief Nish, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, joining. Thanks for having me, Ara. Awesome. I- I'm a big fan of starting at the beginning. Um, I feel like adulthood, a lot of things that you, um, the decisions you make as adults and kind of where you end up eventually being is a huge part is played by kind of how you were brought up and like the things you're exposed to. So um, could you tell us a bit about your family, your upbringing and kind of how that played a part in you eventually, you know, sitting where you are today as a, as a chief police officer? Yeah, thank you, Ara. Um, and yeah, sure. I, uh, I am uh, uh, a Sri Lankan Tamil. I was born in Colombo, Sri Lanka. Uh, my, uh, you know, father's family was from Jaffna. Mom's from Batiklo. And um, I'm on my, just a little background, my dad's side. Uh, my uh, dad's brother was the mayor of Jaffna in, uh, in, in the 70s. And uh, my mom's side, obviously from Batiklo. But we, you know, in the mid 70s after I was born just a couple years old um, made the decision with my, multiple of my parents siblings to make the move to, to Canada uh, and uh, so we you know immigrated here uh, came to Toronto did the same thing where we lived with multiple families in one home and uh, you know my parents kind of just went where the work took them which was to the west end of the GTA and uh, my dad worked at the bank my mom worked for the province of Ontario and um, yeah, so very early on, you know, just, you know, the, the typical immigrant story, they literally came with, like, at that point, you were, weren't allowed to bring your financial assets. You could only bring your physical, whatever you could carry, like the suitcases, et cetera. So not to be cliche, but it was one of those typical stories. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, nonetheless, I think we've all been so thankful to come to this uh, great country and all its blessings it's given us. But uh the story just turned into me going through, you know, school uh, in the West End of, uh, of, of Toronto, the GTA. I went to elementary school in, in the city, in Don Mills Overly, and then moved out to the West End. And, you know, just or just a, in a nutshell, I was like a complete average student, vanilla, vanilla ice cream, like right up the middle, not extremely athletic, not really, uh, you know, great academically, not very good at the arts, but... Uh, you know, if anybody were to say, hey, what do you think of Nish back in high school? They would probably say he kind of went right up the middle of, uh, of everything. But just like uh, many of our, in our community for, for multiple generations, like Amma and Appa, they wanted, their, their thing was, you know, whatever you do here has to exceed the sacrifice we've made coming here. And for them, that was exclusively uh, doctor, engineer, accountant something with a professional designation and so in my mind right from the right from the beginning that was ingrained but midway through school and when I was in high school 
And back then, you know, just not to date myself, but back then, uh, you know, the typical jobs were either fast food or like marketing job, like telemarketing. That was when telemarketing existed. But, <laughs> um, you know, one of my teachers at school just grabbed me in the hallway and said, hey, Nishan, would you be interested in uh, this uh, placement program at the local police department for the summer? It pays and you get to learn about policing and so and I thought, oh, this is different. I won't be flipping burgers like my buddies. So I said yes. And I had no like idea anything about it and thought it would be cool. And uh, sure enough, you know, over I'm the sorry, course, what age was that? That was when I was uh, 15, 16, turning 16. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I did the typical thing. I was just playing. My parents got me into things that didn't cost a lot, soccer and swimming. You had to buy a pair of shorts or a pair of running <laughs> shoes or soccer shoes. And uh, so I, I went into the, the policing and, uh, you know, Apart and aside from being interested about the job itself and, you know, there's some certainly exciting elements to it, is uh, what really struck me Ara, is the, um, you know, I discovered who the people were behind it. You know, some of these people, you know, their moms, dads, cousins, volunteers, coaches, and just a typical thing you don't get to see unless you know somebody in policing. And I certainly didn't. And, uh, you know, they were really kind to me. Like, you know, at the time my dad took ill and um, they would pick me up, drop me off to work. And, and then I'd start like, I probably nagged them. Like I bugged them. I think probably even after my program while I was in high school, because, you know, at Christmas, uh, Amma would bake like a tray of like chicken and, and, and biryani rice would drop it off at the division for them on Christmas day and things like that. And this is pre-email, but at any rate, what happened was a focus uh, and attachment to the relationships, which tweaked me to, you know, this could be a possible uh, opportunity. So I did the typical thing. I never told my parents that I was interested in policing. I, I complete continued to fool them that I was going to go to university <laughs> and do something that required a designation. And sure enough, when I was at the, like, the very end of my last year at university and my mom was on vacation visiting your brother and of Vancouver. And I got a call from one of these officers who I maintained contact with. And he said, Hey, Nish, we, we, we figure you're probably done about done school right now. Would you consider applying? We're, we're doing a huge hiring push. So I applied and sure enough, by the time she got back, I already had my first interview scheduled and, you know, she wasn't very happy to say the least, but Hey, listen, that was how I got into policing. And, you know, now 26 years later, you know, all my family at that point were like, this guy's crazy. What's he doing? You know, but now they're the biggest proponents because they have understanding of it. So that's a little bit of the road traveled and how I got to the door of uh, policing. Yeah, I feel like with any trailblazer and like whether it's a profession or like ethnic group, when you're one of the first, you always get a lot of flack for doing something totally different that people don't understand. And then it's like 10, 15 years later, it's like, oh, yeah, I always knew that, you know, Nish was onto something. I just, uh, you know, I was just testing him or whatever. Like I hear that from so many different people, their parents, like, I had a friend who like my best friend's an actor and when he was doing acting at the beginning his parents like didn't tell anybody and then as soon as he was on tv they're like oh that's my son and i supported him but like i, I knew the full story so it's pretty interesting yeah um if someone listening to this and like they want to be a police officer what are the steps i don't know if that's changed since kind of you started or like you know if it's any requirements have changed in the last few years but i'm curious well, how do you become a police officer Listen, like, like a lot has changed really in 26 years, especially the awareness that, you know, policing needs to represent the community. You know, it, it needs to be reflective and informed by the community. And, um, you know, I think in policing, they've gotten better at, at, at that. But here in the Ontario context, um, 
there are provincial standards uh, that are set by the province to minimum requirements. And, you know, you can pretty much go to any police agency's website and see it. And there are, are certain pre-qualifications that are required to get, like you have to do a physical, you have to be able to pass physical testing, aptitude testing, et cetera. So the standards are kind of regulated provincially. And there's a lot of like, you know, uh, opportunities to practice, support, you know, and do that. But once you get an idea, once you get those, you know, boxes checked off, you're then basically able to apply to any police organization in Ontario. And every police uh, service is as unique as and different as their communities are. And, uh, you know, I often tell people, listen, first of all, you know, you're definitely not getting into policing for the money. <laughs> your, your, heart, your, heart, your heart's got to be in, in the idea of like, you know, some of the challenges we've all seen in the last two years that have come to the forefront, but it really needs good quality individuals that can really improve the well-being of the community. It's moved on from just the idea of law enforcement. So I say, hey, if you have a heart for that and, you know, clearly, you know, you, you're interested in bettering the safety and well-being of a community, that's the first step. The second is you do not need to come to the doorstep of policing with a law or law and security degree. Clearly people do, and they're really, you know, they, some of them are really excellent candidates, but we need, uh, we're looking for people that uh, have really diverse backgrounds, either employment, previous work, life experience, international, you know, just volunteer, you name it. We'll do the rest to train people on how to get there. So it is a very challenging one. We have thousands and thousands of applications for, you know, just a handful of uh, spots. Uh, but and it's certainly a very competitive process, but there's a lot of uh, now adjustment to the concept is we can steward somebody and shepherd them through the process so that we don't just expect you to come up at the doorstep of hunt, firing in all cylinders. We can help you and shape you and help you guide you in that. So it, there's a lot of info and checking websites on any police agency will help for sure. This episode is sponsored by Nobody. That's right, Nobody. So if you could be kind enough to hit that subscribe button, that would mean a lot to me. And you talked about kind of representation, like the police officers, you want to rep like they want to be in places where they're representative of the people they're helping. Um, so I guess from like your perspective, like I look at places obviously like Scarborough and yeah. I think Peel as well, uh, obviously a lot of Tamil people there. So have you seen more and more Tamils kind of start joining the ranks of being a police officer? Like I know a couple of people personally that are Tamil and, yeah. police officers but i felt like this was completely unheard of like when i was in high school or university yeah no that's a great question all right like when i started 26 years ago there was i knew of the other three tamil coppers in ontario and you know two of them were in toronto and um uh, one was in durham and so and now and since then what i realized and i've had a lot of young uh you know interested uh, women and men who are interested in policing um, come to me offline and say, hey, I live in Scarborough, I want to apply to Toronto, or I want to apply to York, or I'm going to this X, Y, and Z, what do I do? And what we became aware of is that we need to, you know, promote the, this as, a, as, a, as an honorable and positive profession for everyone. And so if people just enter into policing uh, that are a Sri Lankan or Tamil, uh, it's, our, it's a benefit for all of us. So uh, now our, we have about, uh, I, I belong to a group called the Tamil Law Enforcement Network. It's a bunch of, uh, you know, people in the public safety sphere that are wanting to help mentor and, and, and promote.
promote and strengthen relationships for, for uh, incoming uh, uh, tunnels that are interested in policing. And now we're about, listen, I can say about 60 to 90 uh, in, across the province. And now we have people across multiple provinces at the federal level. So it, it has really changed. I think, you know, our generation and our parents' generation are starting to see, and I'll, you know, you know that we are very much uh, 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 influenced by our parents and grandparents. And I think that it's opening in such that it's seen as an opportunity. And that's one of the things I've tried to use my platform to, uh, you know, really say is, look, there are many opportunities for uh, us here in, in, in policing. It takes all kinds, all cultures to be here at the doorstep for sure. Yeah, when I was a kid, I, I was into all the detective and like, you know, anything solving crime, but I never thought of it as a viable career because like you said, it was just never an option presented to me. It was like one of, I had very few options presented. So um, yeah. like you said, like, you know, the generation, like our generation and the generation below, they'll hopefully get those opportunities. And you talked about like, obviously it's not a, going to becoming a police officer is not about the money, especially considering the risk reward ratio, right? I mean, there's other jobs you can do if it's yes. just about the money uh, with less risk. But um, before I ask this next question, I'm curious, whatever you're comfortable sharing, I'm, whenever I ask like my police friends, you know, yeah. what's, you know, cause before you, you took on this role, you were kind of, you know, doing detective work and like, like mm -hmm. patrol and things like that. What's like the most memorable or crazy, you know, thing that you remember like uh, I'm sure you have many but like what's the most memorable time or like maybe a time you felt like you're actually in danger you know whatever you want to share I'm just very yeah, yeah. curious about that but you know the good the good first like 10 years of my uh, policing uh, I spent in investigative work in uh, drug and undercover investigations oh wow which really amazing it was like you know I would say I get to do what other people go to the movies for right like <laughs> And so that was really uh, amazing. And, and not, to, not to be cliche, you know, I was like, I was literally in undercover capacity because, you know, I was a short Tamil guy and I'm not a very big guy and I didn't look like the atypical police officer. And, and uh, so I, I got to, you know, be able to do things and uh, that uh, were really cool. But, uh, you know, you know, if you're asking me what was some of the most memorable stuff is that those were the most, I had some amazing, exciting moments. The ones that are, you know, adrenaline related, those ones you don't forget, but they're not necessarily for me, the most satisfying ones. Um, and I, it was funny because my, when I was a constable and I, I was a de detective constable and I was on a joint forces project with the RCMP and I got called to tell, uh, be told that I was getting promoted to the, my first rank as a Sergeant. And uh, the, uh, the, the chief at the time told me, Hey, Nish, you're getting promoted. Congratulations. So in my mind, I thought, okay, I'm going to help run one of these investigative teams. Uh, he said, Nish, Nish you're, you're, uh, we're going to assign you to diversity and uh, they call it race relations then. We now call it EDI and, and whatnot. But they're going, I almost fell off my chair because I, I, he was on the phone and, and like literally in a week, I went from buying uh, illicit narcotics and drugs <laughs> to, to buying samosas at a, at a community event, right? Like, and so, it was a really remarkable, but then I realized that there's a whole nother side to policing that makes the world go around. Like, you know, we look in the last year or two where people have really questioned the trust and accountability of policing, especially everything geopolitical post George Floyd. We, we know that the strength of being connected to community is as great as the need to meet public safety. So can I tell you in the years that 
ensued after that. I got to see that side of the house uh, of policing, which was really how important, uh, you know, the relations are in really knowing community well. Then I went on to like, like the innovation technology. That was amazing and satisfying too, because we're notoriously in policing like decades behind the private sector for technology. And so, you know, if you're of a forward mind and you're innovative, you're, you know, potentially you want to look at seeking solutions that are new. That was a great space for me. So those have been like really satisfying. I've had like a real diverse background that has been really uh, in, and it doesn't come down to one critical incident or one hair raising story. Uh, and maybe because I've been around for so long, it's getting harder to remember them. But uh, <laughs> I, I tell my kids some of the stories when I'm offline. <laughs> yeah, you kind of talked about a lot with the, the image of what police officer portrayed as usually when we hear about them, it's most often something negative, right? Something negative in the news. Um, but I think of, uh, I watch a show called For Life and I don't know if you know what it's about. It's about a guy who got sent to jail uh, like a, on a false charge. But there's a scene where he's black and he's talking to a black police officer and they're having this conversation where he's like, you know, why are you like, why are you here? And the police officer who's talking to is this, you know, like exactly what you said. He's like, you know, I've been on the wrong side of police encounters. I thought instead of, you know, just being angry about it, I can just be on the other side and try to promote change or instill change within from within. It might yeah. be like a hard journey, but he's like, that's why I'm doing it. So that's like a, a great point you, you brought up. Yeah, you and, know, I, I want to yeah. do a quick shout out to like, there's a lot of like uh, Sri Lankan Tamil officers that had a really difficult time. If you remember, um, you know, you know, when especially our, our the Tamil community was on the Gardner yes. Expressway, we had Tamil officers on the other side of them, you know, that were deployed specifically either because they have language skills or new people in the community that were trying to bridge the narrative. And many of them had very difficult internal personal struggles because they knew where the heart of where the narrative should be, and yet they were trying to facilitate it. And now you look look at, you know, we're, we're celebrating Tamil Heritage Month uh, in Taipongal and, you know, very important things that are nice and wide and open in our community and our, you know, so this is all part of the journey, right? Of, yes. you know, everybody's experiences. So I just wanted to acknowledge that further. No, no, that's, that's a great story. Um, speaking of journey, like, you know, you went through, you became a police officer, you, you know, you rose through the ranks. And then, uh, you know, obviously a few years ago, you got the big role. You know, you got, you got to become a police chief, which like, I don't, there's no other Tamil person in um, North America that can say that. So when you heard about the, first of all, how did you hear about it? And what was your reaction to hearing about it? Was it very anticlimactic or were you like excited? Tell us about that. Yeah, no, listen, it, it's been a real honor and uh, absolutely very full of excitement to take on this role. Um, and, you know, I, I see my role as, um, uh, um, you know, my job is here to obviously uh, serve the community, but I, we have almost 3,400, 3,500 employees at Peel Police. Um, officers and civilian and they're some of the most remarkable people uh, committed to it and so you know my job here is uh, on this platform is to just to do better for them and for the community but so that's been a real honor just to get to say that off start but uh, I have never like throughout my career been motivated to you know just to aspire to be a, a chief which just might sound weird to people uh, you know I really sometimes wake up and I'm thinking oh my goodness did I, what did I get myself into? <laughs> uh, but um, it really um, was about 
you know, I've been really interested in like a two or three main big buckets. All right. And one is I really see there's a, a need and an opportunity to change policing from a modernization and approach to serve the community. The second is I really I mentioned to you earlier is to this I are really interested in being innovative to find solutions. And uh, I really love the people. Like the people are so good. And so for the 26 years, I was at another police service, Halton Police, which I thought for sure that I would retire, which is, you know, just on the West End, they're a mid-sized police agency. Um, I would retire from there and, you know, be very happy. And when the opportunity came open at Peel, I just thought, listen, there, this is one of, you, know, you got the second and third largest cities in Ontario in one region. You've got Pearson International Airport, which we're responsible for policing. Uh, you know, 1.4 million population, a lot of South Asians, you know, 60 to 70% racialized population. It, it, it just screamed, you know, hey, my areas of interest at this larger platform, potentially uh, we can, as with my, with the team here at Peel, do a, a remarkable uh, job. And, um, and so I really, I just, you know, kind of in, in entered the, you know, the, the competitive process to come here. Uh, just saying, hey, listen, I'll, I'll just give them niche. If it works right for the community and the police services board, then, uh, you know, then it is what it is. If it doesn't, I'm very happy where I am. And, you know, uh, I'm appreciative of the opportunity to have come here. Uh, and yeah, you know, I, I, you know, again, I think I see people, and I tell people, if anyone's listening to this podcast, if you work in the private sector, healthcare, you know, you're in education or you're in a small workforce or a large organization, if you get into a position of leadership, whether it be informal or formal, and you're doing it for, uh, you know, the dollars, the salary or the pension, uh, can I tell you, in my heart of hearts, it's the wrong reason. It's certainly a benefit for being there. And you need, you need to consider that, but it's the wrong mo motivation, right? Uh, and uh, if you're there to help the people around you or improve, you know, your work as a whole, then that's the right reason. There's this, there's this uh, comment that says, ambition is the enemy of success. And it is so true. You know, I think, you know, we, I, I'm, I know that I'm just here for a finite period of time to move the yardstick forward and somebody else will come and continue it. And I think that's the way we see it. But yes, I'm proud of the fact that, you know, I also get to represent an experience that uh, uh, is reflective of our community uh, and uh, many, perhaps many other uh, immigrant uh, uh, communities. But I often tell people that, that, you know, I'm a police officer first that has a very unique life experience that helps inform uh, my lens to everything, which is where, you know, I think we all, we all are, whether you're born here, multi-generation Canadian, or you, you know, you weren't, um, everybody's got a life experience that helps inform it. So I'm just really super excited to do that here at, at Peel. It's an amazing, amazing opportunity. Did you know that every time you left a five out of five review for this podcast, a Tamil parent lets their child pursue a career in the creative arts? Okay, that's probably not true. But if there's a chance that it is, do you really want to jinx it? Leave a review. Do it for the young creative in you. And have you found the type of skills or the type, the type of skills required to do the job as, you know, you know, taking a big job versus when you were, you know, sergeant or like just kind of doing undercover work? What's the skill, skills required? What's the difference in that? Yeah, you know, can I tell you, like, I, I, I've learned and matured as I've grown. And I'm 
continuing to learn. And sometimes it comes uh, from mistakes, Ara. Like, you know, I think there is no pathway and a roadmap, clear pathway to success. If, if anyone's listening to this, I would say that there's no ideal career path and I never had it scripted. You sometimes rarely control your opportunities. But what I can say is that, you know, I think throughout all of it, I've always focused on relationships. I've always not let an opportunity pass. And then I've also always, you know, started in more recently seen challenges as a, as a platform to improve. So those three things continue to help have helped me um, seek new opportunities and propel ourselves. The other thing, you know, really is you never do this alone. Like I can tell you, like, you know, a lot of my colleagues are, are my family here in, in here in, in my previous organization and not to be corny or anything, but there's that uh, Robert Ingersoll has a quote that says, you know, we rise by lifting others. That is so true. You cannot, you cannot go it alone Ara, in anything. And so we're, we're really like, can I tell you, if I re reflect back even to that high school teacher that told me that high school teacher was at my swearing in two years ago to become chief of police. It's because, you know, the focus on emphasis, uh, uh, relationships are number one. Those officers that call me when I was in university are still uh, somewhat. So, you know, you, you're really strengthened by those around us and your approach for sure. Um, and then I've also had a couple of personal, I've got personal mantra that I espouse the people that has kind of helped me stay focused. And so that's all really uh, helped me along the way. And would you say like, I mean, as an outsider looking in, I feel like one of the things that you do a lot more, or maybe it's just me, look, it's like a lot more communication or media work. Like I know even if you are uh, mm -hmm. like a, a beat officer, like detective, you still have opportunities to speak, but it's more around like a specific case versus like you probably speak more on like bigger issues, like, you know, diversity in the force, or if there's a, a negative, you know, case involving race relations, like you talk about that. So uh, is that is that fair to say like media training or like just being really good at media work is an important part of the role? It, it really is for me, at, particularly at my my level. Listen, if you were to ask my frontline people, they'd say that guy's not a cop. <laughs> He's a politician. And, you know, really, the, all the credit goes to them. Like their civilian, our frontline people, they do the work civilian or sworn. My role is I'm responsible for this whole place. And so, yes, that's the, the good, the bad, the ugly. And, um, and you can't be in this space if you don't want to engage people. And that's me, me sometimes at, at the worst times and so, and at the best times, but uh, I'm like, I thrive on this part of like, I'm, I was pretty close to, you know, if, if I wasn't in policing, I'd, I'd see myself in broadcast or journalism or something. Uh, I, I like talking to people. I like being out front. If there's a microphone, like I'll fight you for it. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, so I enjoy the communication piece and, and I think, you know, I've got a different approach to communication. I think, um, I don't believe in the whole, like, you know, stand in front of a podium and I'm the chief and this is the way, like, I think we got to be who we are, like vulnerability. I think that's what makes us the, the best is like, you know, I have, I have children I'm a coach. I play live music. I play sports and martial arts and I'm involved in the community. I volunteer because I think, you know, I think the public expects, you know, us and people in roles like mine to be uh, as close to reflective of a real community as possible. We are part of the community. So uh, I think from a communication standpoint, 
that's a very effective one. Like social media, I've been on social media for a while. And like, I think really this last year has been a difficult time in social media with cancel culture and just the effortless ability for people to um, say things uh, in public forums without any uh, fear of uh, stigma or repercussion has really been really tainted the, my, my feeling of it. But, you know, these are important uh, uh, vectors of communication to the public. Doing your podcast is a perfect one. People can't see me, but you're they're getting a little slice of who niche is and perhaps what i say to my people this is i talk to you the way i talk to my people you know it's a trickle down effect for sure got it and you talked about you know talking about incorporating technology in the police force because traditionally the police force has been behind and you were championing that roadmap for innovation and technology so what are some technologies that you see playing a part in you know the future of policing yeah yeah like i think Listen, like, yeah, we're the, I always joke, first of all, you know, big, big analytics, big data analytics, uh, not from a crime standpoint, but from an analytics of how we spend time and how we inform, you know, the movie Moneyball, like, and people don't yes. even know what the movie is, right? it came out like yeah. 15 years ago, but we're, we're still in policing, building our analytics capacity. So that's huge, you know, we can help, we have a small, everybody's heard about the defund the police movement, which, you know, really, you know, apart and aside from its direct implications on on, um, you know, you can't turn the tap off on public safety and immediately turn the tap on on other ones. But I think in the heart of what people were saying is strengthen other human services so there's less over-reliance on policing. And the way I see it is technology is a platform for me to do that. You know, you know we, we have uh, uh, thousands of officers on, on the road we have mobile devices. It's not just a plate of glass to answer a phone call or an email. But I have a direct way to connect, uh, you know, 80% of what my officers do is non-criminal. So it's in mental health, addictions, homelessness, social disorder, older adult isolation, youth, food insecurity. My officers are in these homes. It's an amazing opportunity. Now we have applications on their phones. We put, I put apps on their phones to help them connect people directly to uh, services, social services that can support it. We're going to online like, a, like here with the language diversity in Peel, uh, we're gonna have the ability for officers to do a virtual translation services. So we got a third party translator. Um, we, you know, we're still using flip notebooks like you do in TV, you know, <laughs> investigator, you know, electronic notes, um, uh, you know, with the ability for people to uh, send, uh, you, now you have to, when you call 911, you have to pick up the phone, but the ability to send visual images, data images into our, 911 communication center for us to get out there. Um, you know, we put, uh, you know, from a trust and accountability, telling our story better in this last year, we put out uh, uh, thousands of body cameras on officers. It's not a new technology, but it tells, but we have the ability to two-way stream. And could you imagine us in, in the home of a parent who just needs help with a youth that may have uh, maybe a health and wellness, mental health issue, to, to two-way stream to a crisis worker in my communication center to help navigate um, the issues of like the potentials are, are endless. And, uh, you know, my, I told, I told my people is it's not to get bright, shiny things in technology. It's to help serve, be a platform for serving the, the community in a more collaborative and thoughtful way. Now behind the scenes, we're using technology for a variety of different things, you know, a camera and digital technology, um, you know, we have uh, a broadband capacity. I, I'm a, I, can, I'm gonna, I could tech out on you uh, very shortly, but uh, uh, artificial intelligence, AI for processing data and solving crimes quicker. There's so many opportunities for that. 
And all that's happened in the last year and a half, by the way. The entrepreneur in me is always like, if there's an industry where they're slow to adopt the technology, like uh, like I, I deal with healthcare, mm-hmm. um, there's a good opportunity for an entrepreneur because it just means that it's going to be harder to get into. But once you're in, you're in because, you know, police, I'm sure like a police um, division, you're not going to want to switch your providers for like the technology you're using. Once you pick one, you're going to use it for like 10 years. So yeah, that's just me. Sure. Thank you. No, no, yeah. Right. Again, I think we need to be more nimble and switch to cloud and platform technology. But here's an example. One of the things I've asked my team to do this year is look at collaborative ways to solution. You know, we, we've got uh, educational institutions, think like academic institutions that can help solution uh, public safety, community safety needs for us instead of us uh, toiling on it. And there's an entrepreneurial and business element to it where we can help uh, start, start startups uh, yeah. to help come along public safety. So that's a real passion of mine from an innovation standpoint. That's good to know. Money can be hard to come by, but here is a $100 opportunity for you. Join my free newsletter for free exclusive content and a free chance to win $100 when I hold special draws. Did I mention that it's free? What's the piece of advice you'd give to like a young person today that's looking to, you know, a police officer is one of the possibilities or options for them? Yeah, you know, okay, so... Here's what I say to young people is don't let your youth detract you. I, you know, uh, some of the, you know, the most, uh, you know, progressive and successful people, I think this day and age, you think, okay, well, when I get to a certain age or if I can get to that point, I'll give that a shot. I said, we can't let youth detract us. So whether it's policing or not, you know, the first thing I say is the value of relationships are so, so critical. You have to be careful. Uh, uh, on that, but develop allies in different places in relationships. So whether it's policing, get to know somebody, uh, you know, reach out to somebody that you know, uh, because that becomes like a safe harbor or mentor or sometimes even a, a, a champion. Um, I mentioned to you that the path into something is, isn't always clear. So don't, don't get frustrated. If you know, you don't get into policing first or you have a career of your choice. I tell anybody this is trans- transferable is, uh, you know, the, you can't always get into something with a direct A to B a pathway. You know, I say, you know, I'm, I'm not a sailor, but if you look at the art of sailing and sail, like they don't sail directly from one point to another. You know, they do a thing called tacking where it goes this way and that way. And that's the analogy I say is your pathway to getting into something maybe a little longer and may have some frustrations, but that's part of the journey. The other thing is, uh, uh, you know, you know, don't let failure uh, set you back, you know, obviously take responsibility for your outcomes. You know, I think like, I, I don't want to tell you, ask how old you are, but uh, you know, everybody knows who Jordan is, Michael Jordan. And you know, you, if you peel back into his stories, like not only did he win five MVP trophies and six NBA champions, let alone the NCAAs, but he, the first couple of times he tried to get on in his freshman year in the basketball, he got cut. He was told that he wasn't fast enough, tall enough. He did not let that bog him down. Imagine if that stopped him. Like you cannot look at a jersey if it's NFL or football or pro soccer in Europe without a Nike like Jordan jumping on it. And so he he himself said, I failed over and over again, but that's why he succeeds. You have to continue to, to accept failure and not let that do it. The other piece Ara, is they got to learn. You know, you got to research and read. Like if it's policing, for example, you know, check their social media platforms, look at the news, look at the look and feel of their leaders, the people, the officers, 
Um, and then, you know, you know, reading is huge. Like, like the average CEO, they say in North America reads 60 books a year. Like I don't read that 60 books a year. I listen to a lot of audiobooks mainly because of time, but that helps you, you, you think. And then, uh, I think people have to have a personal vision too, I think, you know, which is, you know, the quiet thing about where they aspire to be. Um, and again, I, I, there's this, I, I'm a big proponent of don't let opportunities pass. It's like the sliding doors thing, because it's that, uh, you know, relentless, you know, pursuit of advancement that requires you to not let some opportunities pass because they may not work out, but they strengthen you. And at least it gives you an experience. That's some great advice. Out of curiosity, how old do you think I am? <laughs> but you're engaging because I can see you and nobody else can. There's no <laughs> limited gray hair. I'd say, you know, uh, uh, early 30s, late 20s. I'll take it. I'm 37, actually. I'm oh, 30 uh, this year. See, it's, it's, our, it's our Tamil culture, right? Like I tell yeah. people, people ask me how old I am. I shave my gray hair off, but uh, I, I just, I keep telling them it's uh, it's the constant coconut oil that I put on my, my... <laughs> Wait, how old are you? I'm, uh, I'm forty. Like, I I just turned forty-eight. Wow, forty-eight, Mike. Okay, it's definitely something in the Talmud movement for sure, because uh, you don't look a day older than yeah, thirty-five maybe. So that's good. In terms of you know, um, I always like to kind of look back and look forward. So if you're looking back, you go to time machine, you get to sit down with sixteen-year-old Nish. What do you yeah. tell me? Oh, at sixteen, yeah, time machine. You know, I would I would probably have given some of the advice to me that I just gave you because like I'm 48 and I'm just now having clarity on that. Right. I kind of was a, a bump on the log. I was a very introvert. I told you it was like vanilla ice cream and very awkward. I, 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 I at some point came out of my shell. I wish I did that earlier. Like, to be honest with you, because I let a lot of things pass me by that would have maybe not been, you know, significant to my pathway in life but um just out of like I, I always had this feeling of like uh um don't uh, I, I won't do that because I'm not really good at it I'll wait till to do the things that I'm you know more comfortable with uh, I guess stepping into co- uncomfortable spaces I would have probably done that er- er- earlier um I because I was early in the whole come to Canada where there was like literally 80 Sri Lankan families in Toronto at the time. And we knew them all, uh, Singhalese, Burgers, Tamil, you didn't know, we knew them all and everybody had the same immigrant. And, but we were very, conform- I conformed a lot to what my, my, my parents had set before me. I probably would have stepped out into things that, like not to challenge my parents, but to help educate them on the, like the why it's good. Uh, so I would have stepped out in a, a couple of different spaces. Um, my dad passed away when I was really young, before I became a police officer. And, uh, you know, not that I regret anything, but, you know, as time goes on, memories fade. I probably uh, uh, would have uh, savored a few more of those moments. You know, that was pre before you could take a lot of photos and you couldn't take photos yeah, yeah. and everything. There's limited, limited uh, media uh, record of, of that. So that would be on a personal level, something I would have so just, I guess, looking back at your, how you were raised, is there a different way that you're doing with your kids in terms of like, you know, encouraging them to like take or explore whatever they're interested in, or do you still kind of take some elements of, because I feel like there's, 
good and bad in terms of like how our parents raised us. So I'm just yeah, curious of how you've adapted to your parenting style. Yeah, let, let me first say, like, I love how my mom raised me. She was a single, like she pretty much did it as a, uh, with my dad when my dad had, had passed, but, um, and she did an amazing job, but they didn't know what they didn't know at that time, right? They really just didn't know. And so I say that to you because um, now what I'm doing with my children, they're like, an, they're the three of them under the age of 15 is, um, you know, when I'm gone, they lose one more connection to our culture and traditions. I'm really trying to super saturate them with elements that I think my mom was so focused on. We got to get on our feet here in Canada. You know, we didn't speak a lot of Tamil at home and like, you know, the cultural elements that I think she was just so focused on just surviving. We didn't spend a lot of time on appreciating. So I'm, I'm doing that with, uh, with my kids now, like, and really spending time on the value of why and what on, on what, um, one, one thing I want to resonate is our community is so strong with our relationships, familial relationships. And that is one thing that I'm, I am forcefully ensuring that my children uh, recognize is that family uh, is number one, right? Number, number one all the way. And uh, so those are elements that I, I've done. And I haven't really deviated a lot from what our parents did other than, than encouraging uh, them to see what's possible, right? I think there was a bit of conservatism in my in my parents' generation about, oh, and Sean, don't do that. You might this might happen. You might get injured. Like, like she she unregistered me from uh, wrestling in school. <laughs> she she called the school and unregistered me. I didn't know that you could do that as a <laughs> like. And I think oh well, like they, who knows what I would have done? Football. She. She was like American football. That was like a no go for her because you're going to get a neck injury and something's going to, she must've saw one article of some, somebody getting, you know, uh, paralyzed and, and that became the filter. Like those are the things that like, you know, now I never played hockey. I never skated. And, you know, I have a 10 year old boy and listen, if at all, anything to skate with his buddies when he's an older adult, I want him to do that. I don't need him to be an NHL. Uh, but, you know, those are the things that, nobody we didn't think of doing because we're you know and there's no criticism to them at all it's just yeah i agree with you i think the one thing i would change i think they did a lot of things uh in a great way the one thing i would change is like and it's probably because of a lack of time and like you said focus on survive focus on survival but communication i felt like when i would ask them a question about why because you know i think most kids are inquisitive they want to know why they're yeah. just like it is that's like after the first or second time it's like this is what it is don't ask yeah. again you don't ask again so i think that's the one thing i would change is you know i think kids are naturally inquisitive so if they have questions try to be patient and answer those questions yeah uh, oh yeah for I, sure yeah 100%. uh the, the whole idea of like you know hey um nishan you got a 78 on this how, how, how come you didn't get an 80 like that's the conversations i got from my mom Right? <laughs> versus you know now i think we're far more attuned to okay hey what's happening like you know you, you there's a participatory view to helping young people with their education and like like oh yeah it was you a complete different approach now when you uh, uh to it right and looking forward so in terms of your personal legacy like how would you want to be remembered by your friends and family uh l- listen i i I would hate to have 
them say, oh, that job or his role or profession changed who he is. And so, you know, um, you know, I, I, I make a purposeful effort to stay grounded with, you know, the people that have been a part of my life for, you know, 30 years or longer uh, and ensure that, uh, you know, I never change who I am uh, because I think um, that's an important uh, quality. So I don't know if I answered your question, but. No, no, I think that's great. So now we're getting to the final segment. It's a speed round. It's a game that I like to call Crater Confessions. So basically, I'm just going to say a bunch of statements. And you're going to say the first quick answer that pops into mind. Okay. Ready? Yep, go. Favorite Tamil food? Uh, uh, string hoppers. Something that scares you? Uh, insects. Insecurity that you have? Um, uh, I'm too short. Uh, favorite show you're watching? Um, my kids are going to get mad at me, but Outer Banks. <laughs> A uh, place you're itching to travel to after this pandemic is slash over, managed, whatever you want to call it. I'm taking my family to Sri Lanka. A fellow Tamil creator you want to give a shout out to? Uh, yeah, you know, okay. I got two, okay. Uh, Sidi Mahendran, he's an amazing guy. He's on a, on a board of directors for SAC with me. Uh, and Geeta Murthy, who's yes. the ED for, uh, and like, won't go one further. Gary Anandasangari, amazing pioneer, leader, and a good friend. Favorite childhood memory? is um uh favorite childhood memory is probably going to uh african lion safari with my dad something you like to do for fun outside of work i play in a in a bar band oh interesting okay uh favorite movie of all time uh sound of music a purchase you've made um recently that you splurged on that you have zero regret about um i, I did i bought in i bought uh, a new guitar okay. pet peeve Pet peeve is when my kids say the word like. Oh, they say like a lot. <laughs> uh, if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, a regret that you would have. Not calling everybody I know right now. A celebrity or just a person whose life you'd be curious to experience for one day. Um, Bob Marley. Uh, a, a book or a podcast, or in your case, like an audio book that you've listened to recently that's had an impact on you. Yeah, I listened to one of Brene Brown interviewing Obama about you know, straddling duality and how it makes you manage obstacles better. That's good. Uh, a belief, behavior, or habit that's recently improved your life? Uh, I'm trying to work out every morning, which for cardio, because our people have like chronic heart problems and my family, same thing. So that one's huge for me. And finally, what's a piece of advice that you would give to your fellow aspiring Tamil creators out there? I'd say uh, stay focused, believe in yourself. And failure can't deter you. They're going to make you, it's going to make you stronger. Awesome. That was, uh, that was great, Chief Nish. Uh, thank you for jumping on the podcast. If someone's listening to this and inspired by a story, they want to reach out. What's the best way for them to connect to you? Yeah, no, so listen, uh, you can go to appealpolice.ca and uh, through our corporate comms and media office, you'll see an email that says uh, Chief Nish Duryapa at Peel Police. You can email me. We come to, they're all come to come to me and my team and, be happy to connect. Awesome. Well, thank you again for jumping on and sharing your wisdom and your story. For those of you listening, as always, appreciate it and see you guys in the next episode. Thanks, Ara. Appreciate it, brother.